Great job as always, my friend. Thank you for coming today. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in out there. Before we jump into the sermon today and the text and all, go ahead and start heading back to 1 John 3. Let me say three quick things. First, about the young lady that uh, came through the waters of baptism today. We were privileged to meet her up at the front kiosk a few weeks ago with her folks, and I think her grandma came. Her name is Andrea. Andrea came to deliver a meal to Grace for one of our staff members for DoorDash. She saw so many kids running around and so much cool stuff happening in ministry, she said, I got to go back and check that place out again. Came here, has given her life to Jesus, and has followed through in baptism. So isn't God good? That's really cool. I love that. I love stories like that. Last week, a young lady came up, a beautiful young teacher in our community came forward and said, hey, you remember me? And I said, oh, maybe. I don't know. But she, uh, she had been invited. We were just eating lunch at Corner 16 one day, which is a killer place, by the way. If you haven't tried, don't go. I don't want the lunch crowd getting bigger. But uh, Corner 16 is very good. And so we just said, can we pray for you? And we invited her to church. Listen, when you're out there, just love people. Invite them. Man, with your DoorDash folks or your Uber or whatever you use, invite them to know Christ. Invite them to his church. You never know what God is doing. That young lady was here last week from a simple prayer, simple invitation and I hope she feels uh, led to come back. And I just want you to know, God is doing some great stuff, and we get to be a part of it. Now, if you're going to leave Grace today and go out there and be ugly to your server, and you're not going to tip her or him well, then don't tell him you come to Grace Baptist Church, okay? Because we're going to talk about what this thing ought to look like here. So that's Andrea. Then we had Brother Mike Finger. Do you all remember Mike who used to ride the little rascal scooter and come down front every week? Brother Mike was one of our longtime counselors, led many people to Jesus, and he got to get out of that scooter this past week and walk into the arms of his Savior. Brother Mike is home with the Lord. We're praying for Pat and the family, Pat Finger, his wife. I will be preaching that service here tomorrow if you want to come by 4 to 5 for a family time, 5 o'clock service. And Mike gave me one directive. He said, don't you talk about me. Keep it all about Jesus. So I said, yes, sir. We're going to keep it about the Lord Jesus. So his service tomorrow. And then would you join me today? And I know you have been, would you continue to pray for our brothers and our sisters in Afghanistan? Uh, as one of my prayer partners said this morning before the early service, you know, they are um, willing to gather, some of them today on the Lord's Day in worship, but they're doing so at risk of their very lives. And so please pray for the situation in Afghanistan, all that's going on around that, and for wisdom in helping people in a time of humanitarian crisis, okay? We are talking in 1 John, this series is entitled Blessed Assurance. How can I know that I know that I know? Because I know if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian any length of time, there's probably been a season, maybe a little short one, maybe a longer one, where you have struggled a little bit with some doubt, effectiveness in your Christian life, and maybe even, am I really saved? Is God really there? Does anyone really care? Most of us have gone through those seasons, but the Bible is clear that we can know when we walk in the light, when we experience God's love, we can know that we have life with Christ. You know John 3.16, we're learning 1 John 3.16, so let's say it together, and then I'm going to throw up a whole bunch of blanks. Ready? Would you join me? By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Think about that for a moment. You know the for God so loved the world, he gave, you know that. So we see God's love on display. We see that we know love because of what Jesus did. And now, 
we're called to go and do likewise. Not to die as a sacrifice for their sin. You can't do that. But to give your life away sacrificially. Let's say it again, a bunch of blanks. Here we go. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Good, very good. Okay, so last week, what's love got to do with it? The great theologian Tina Turner taught us some things, and so we found that love is foundational and functional in the life of a true Christian. We also found that love is an indispensable indicator of our new life in Christ. Today I'm going to back away from music. I'll pick that back up next week, and we're going to learn a new tune. I shared it with Jeff. It's a great great modern, I'd call it almost a modern hymn, but it's a newer tune. It's really good stuff, so we'll be back in some song stuff next week. But I'm going to pull from a a movie today, Um, and, and it's just because when I came up with the title, this is what came to mind. This film played over and over on the big televisions that we used to have around our youth camps when I was a teenager, a young a younger guy, and they were big, heavy TVs back then, but uh, they would play this over and over because it was clean. It was kind of like an American fantasy adventure comedy. Rob Reiner directed it. Uh, how many of you, by show of hands, I want to see if the new, newer generation's ever seen this. If you haven't, you should check it out. Uh, how many of you have seen The Princess Bride? Anybody seen The Princess Bride? Good. I had to explain it to Frank, of course, because... Um, I, I let him watch the scene. It's, adopted from a, it's adapted from a 73 novel. The Princess Bride tells the story of a farmhand named Wesley, and he has these crazy companions along the, the way of his adventures. He sets out to rescue his true love, Princess Buttercup, from the wicked Prince Humperdinck. Okay, now if that doesn't make sense to you, what I'm about to do really won't make sense to you, but that's okay because Billy Crystal's in it, got a cameo. There's some really cool people in this, Andre the Giant's in it. Uh, You really should check out The Princess Bride. It's very, very funny. Uh, But there is a scene where a priest is standing in uh, this chapel and the prince is trying to wrongly marry Princess Buttercup and she doesn't want to marry him and so Wesley's got to come rescue her and the priest comes out with his long flowing robes and his big funny looking hat and he stands there and he begins to talk. Now, all, I had a wedding yesterday uh, in another town. I almost did this at the wedding but I thought, no, nah, I better not do this. But if you guys remember, y'all remember the scene? Everybody that saw it, you remember? Do you remember what he says? Marriage, right? He starts out, marriage is that blessed arrangement that brings us together today. And then he talks about what? Love. True love, right? And he keeps going and he says, can I have the wings? I mean, it's a great film. If you don't like goofy comedy, well, don't take yourself too seriously. Enjoy the movie. It's a really funny movie. I think the dude from Columbo or something's like the narrator throughout. It's really very funny. But every time I think about this true love that God is unpacking for us, for some reason, that priest voice comes to my head. Love, true love. And so you can try that on. And um, let's see. What does it really look like? Because obviously, true love, Wesley was willing to go to the ends of the earth, willing to go through the crazy enchanted forest, willing to do whatever to get to his princess. But true love certainly doesn't look like what Prince Humperdinck was doing. He was just using her to try to further his kingdom and his agenda, sort of like we see in the tale of Shrek and some of the other fairy tales. But what does true love look like? You know, I've said many times over that watching my mother take care of my father in those last years of Alzheimer's, to me, has been in my lifetime one of the purest pictures of true love. 
One of the purest pictures of covenantal love where you almost shift from spouse to parent and full-time caregiver. And though the spouse may not give anything in return, biblical true love just sacrifices and gives over and over and over. And the reward may not come immediately. It may not even come until we see the Lord face to face. But you know, true love seems to be in short supply these days. So let's see what God says about it. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. And we start with the verse we've been memorizing this chapter. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, how could that be the real deal? How could it possibly be real if you say you have the love of God, but you don't really practically love others? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth. We shall assure our hearts before him. He's talking about that assurance again. How can we know that we know? For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. I'll explain that. And beloved, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. It starts with faith that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and it's manifested by love. And we love one another as he gave us commandment. Y'all pray with me. Father in heaven, what a beautiful paragraph tucked here in the middle of John's letter. What a beautiful reminder that we can have assurance, assurance of our relationship with you assurance of our eternal and abundant life and it comes as we live our lives by faith pleasing you loving our brothers in practical ways help us to understand what true love looks like today in Jesus name amen okay guys be seated now I don't do a whole lot of alliteration but this one was too simple so we just give you three s's ready true love is sacrificial sacrificial. Verse 16, if it teaches us anything, is that love looks sacrificial. Real love is most clearly displayed in the life and the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He showed us, demonstrated his love in action. The Bible says we know love because Jesus laid down his life for us. Know, gnosko, to understand, to perceive It's a Jewish idiom for a physical relationship between a man and a woman. It's intimate, personal knowledge. You can know that you know that God loves you. What kind of love? Agape love, right? Y'all know agape or agapeo in the verbal. You know what it means. Unilateral, one way, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. It's that love that gives when nothing can be taken in return. It just keeps on giving. This is the word love in 1 John 3.16. This is the word love in John 3.16. See, Greek is pregnant with words for love. Four words in Greek for love, different types. English, we just say love. I love pizza, I love my wife. Those are very different, okay? 
but I'm just using that term, and we use it rather flippantly. The Bible has very specific words for love, just like John 3.16, just like Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own agape love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what did Jesus do? He died for us. John 15, 13, same John in his gospel says, Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Because true love is sacrificial. Now guys, hear my heart for a second here. Maybe some of the weaknesses in modern church today is because we've become less sacrificial and more critical. Could that be? Could it be that we've substituted criticism for sacrifice? We tend to look at others we tend to be critical of them and we snap to judgment. And in this, particularly in this cancel culture, we judge people on things said or done so quickly. And instead of guilty, instead of innocent until proven guilty, we're having a culture right now that is guilty until proven innocent. It's a very dangerous place to live. It's a very dangerous way to live. We're always accusing and pointing fingers and, well, this is what you must have meant. Well, no, let's just slow our roll. There was a man in a hot air balloon who realized he was lost. He reduced altitude and spotted a lady below him, and he descended a bit more, and he shouted down, Excuse me, can you help me? I promised a friend I'd meet him an hour ago, but I really don't know where I am. And the lady replied, Sir, you're in a hot air balloon. You're hovering about 30 feet above the ground, and you're between 40 and 41 degrees north latitude and 59 and 60 degrees west longitude. And he said, lady, you must be an engineer. Well, I am. How did you know? Well, everything you told me is technically correct, but I have no idea what to make of your information. And the fact is, I'm still lost. Frankly, ma'am, you haven't been much help at all. If anything, you've delayed my trip. The woman below responded, sir, you must be in management. (laughs) Well, I am. How did you know? Well, the lady said, you don't know where you are or where you're going. You've risen to where you are largely because of hot air. You made a promise you have no idea how to keep, and you expect the people beneath you to solve your problems. Fact is, sir, you're in exactly the same place you were to begin with and before we met, but now somehow it's my fault. (laughs) Sorry to those in management but and engineers. The reality is we are quick to judge. We are quick to point a finger. We are quick to become critical when the Bible is very clear we are to live in a sacrificial way. Why? I wrote it like this. True love is unconditional, always seeking what is best for others. It is agape love. Know that word. Memorize that word. Understand what it means and then live what it looks like because it is so critical as Christians that we don't attach strings to our love. We have the, the boom bash. Now guess what we're getting ready for? Anybody know what we do at Thanksgiving around here? Feeding the 5,000. We're going to give some food, but more than food, guess what we're going to give them? They're going to get Jesus, a big heaping dose of Jesus. Last year we had over 150 precious men and women and boys and girls come to faith in Jesus Christ. This year we're going to see people saved. we got to love them well, no strings attached. Come and, and we'll go and we'll meet you where you are and we'll make sure you know the Lord and the Savior who sacrificed himself for you and for me and for us all. Don't just be sacrificial for your wife or your children, but for your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? 
anybody. True love is sacrificial. Gentlemen in the room, please don't shut me down with point two. Please listen all the way through. True love is sensitive. <laughs> Some of you guys are going to be like, man, I ain't listening to this. Listen, true love is sensitive. I didn't say weak. I didn't say wimpy. I didn't say henpecked. I didn't even say you have to have chicken house ways. I'm telling you, you need to be a man's man. But sensitivity means I'm perceptive. I'm responsive. I am helpful. I am thoughtful. Guys, I know how the media portrays us. Looks like we're going to leave this place and go home and eat a big lunch and unbuckle our belt. And we're just going to sit back and go football. You know, I know how the world points us out. By the way, speaking of football, your GCA Rams in their first game beat uh, another school 59 to nothing. We busted some heads in Jesus' name. Congratulations, Rams. It was a beautiful sight. And I'm proud of our boys and our new coach, Coach Long. They did a really good job. And he's building character through his staff and team on and off the field, which is most important. So I'm very proud of our kids. Uh, also, though, I want you to understand, guys, just don't boil down what it means to be a man to football or even hunting and all of that. We have opening weekend. We have uh, the, the, the velvet weekend coming this week. And if you're a bow hunter like I am, when you get in those woods, you become more sensitive. You become more perceptive. In fact, if you live in East Tennessee, you ought to pay attention. When the sun starts going down at night, you ought to pay more attention to the side of the road. Lest your truck hit a deer. And let me tell you, that is an expensive way to get you some venison. Don't, don't just keep your eyes narrowly focused and blind. Be sensitive to what's going on around you. Pay attention. If you see eyeballs, slow down. It doesn't mean you're a wimp. It means you're smart. It means you're using the brain God gave you. The Bible says it this way, 17 and following. Whoever has the world's goods and sees, perceives, understands his brothers in need, but he shuts up his heart, how does the love of God abide in him? James said, if you tell your brother, go be warm and be filled, but don't give him anything he needs, what good is it? Faith without works is dead. My little children, we're not just loving in word or tongue. We're not just talking about it. We're doing it. We're loving in deed and in truth. And God's word is truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth. It's not just filling your head with facts. By this, we know we're of the truth. We can assure our hearts before him when we are sensitive to those around us. I love the King James rendering of verse 17. King James says, But who so hath this world's goods... And seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up the bowels of his compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? In the ancient way of thinking, in the Hebrew thought, the Jewish mind, the bowels were kind of the seat or center of emotion. And we've sort of modernized that to say the heart. And we say the heart is sort of the seat. But they often use this concept of the bowel. We still get remnants of that, because you'll say things like this. I just had a feeling in my gut. You'll still say things like this, but it trickles all the way from antiquity through the Hebrew and later the Greek. And what we find is that what the King James is saying is don't you have a sense in which down deep in your gut there's a need and you as a child of God should be meeting that need? Can't you do that? But you got to be sensitive to do it. I've traveled to some very, very hot places in this world. I've done some preaching and teaching on the Amazon many times. And let me tell you something. You get down on the Amazon, you remember that East Tennessee doesn't have bad humidity, even on a week like this. Man, it's like 100 degrees and 200% humidity. Everything's wet. It's just, it's overwhelming. 
But a few years ago, I was teaching in, in India, and I went in a strange time of the year that a lot of times tourists don't go, but I was teaching some pastors, and they were four-hour blocks, and the electricity would frequently go out, and so the fans would stop, and my friend Biju, I'd say, Biju, how, uh, how hot is it here today? I don't know. It's somewhere between 110, 115, maybe 120. Basically, at that point, it's so hot, what does it really matter, right? It's just hot. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. It's a dry heat. I hate people saying it's a dry heat. I understand what you mean. Yes, the humidity makes it worse. But man, when it's triple digits, it's hot. Okay? Get the little fellow from North Carolina some air conditioning. I'm dying here. And so, Biju didn't think anything about it. It's 100. It's 105. 110. But, with Gmock even Miss Lucy... What if I call and she says, honey, I think Lucy's got a fever. I think she's a little warm. And I say, well, how warm is she? And she says, I don't know, maybe 100, 105. Uh, hello? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, we don't really have a great thermometer, so, you know, I'm guessing. She, is that different, 100 and 105? It's radically different. And I, want, I don't want one of those big, junky plastic thermometers on the wall with the needle that's kind of right, kind of wrong. I want something really, really good, digital, or heaven help little Lucy, one of those that has to go, boop, you know what I'm talking about, the mercury. I want something accurate, man. I want to know exactly what that baby's temperature is, bless her heart. Because in that moment, sensitivity can be the difference in life and death. And I think for the church, if we don't wake up, if we don't become more sensitive to what's going on around us, it may be the difference between life and death. Now, I know the gates of hell will not prevail against the true church of the living Lord Jesus, but we need Christians who are sensitive. You got to love others as you love yourself. That's what Jesus teaches. What does it mean to love myself? Well, when you have a need, you try to meet it. If you're hungry, you try to go eat. When you have a hurt, you attempt to heal it. I've smashed something, I need to put some ice on that, or I need to take some medicine for that. If you have a responsibility, you attempt to fulfill it. I'm going to work. I'm earning a living. I'm providing for my family. If you have a prayer request, you pray for it. Yes, you may ask others to join you, but you pray for it. Well, what does it mean to love others as we love ourselves? When they have a need, we attempt to meet it. When they have a hurt, we attempt to heal it. I know that God is the ultimate healer, but it is God working in and through us. Now, the trick is to keep self-love from becoming selfishness. Because we love ourselves, and that's okay, but we got to love others more. we got to remember that JOY acronym, Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. It's the way you really have a, a, a true biblical joy, but you got to have awareness and sensitivity. you got to pay attention I wrote it like this, God's love is not just on our lips, it characterizes our lives. You guys hear me talking about this a lot at Grace. We cannot just come in here and have this great spiritual pep rally, if you will. We cannot just go out there and merely verbalize our faith. It should always be verbalized, but we have got to demonstrate it in practical ways. And some of you that are struggling today. Some of you may be out there, I'll address the camera, if you can put me on the center camera for a moment. I know because you write me and you reach out, and I'm so appreciative of that, but some of you struggle with assurance of faith, and I could be talking to you in the room as well. 
I've certainly gone through those seasons. It's been a long time since I've been down in that. But I will tell you this. The way among many that you can know that you know that you know is to take God at his word. Be sensitive to what God says. If you'll, if you'll notice in verse 19, by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How do I assure my heart? You need some assurance today? Don't just speak about your faith. Live it out. By living out your faith, God will give you the assurance that you desire. I mean, I think we would all agree Jesus Christ is the greatest man, the, the biggest man's man that's ever walked the earth, the toughest of all, the one that was the strongest, able to take the most, able to do the most. He's a man's man, but he was sensitive. He paid attention. He cared about others. He stopped what he was doing, and he met needs. Because sometimes what God wants for you is not over there. It's you getting from here to there. And you may interact with many people along the way. And so if you want assurance today, demonstrate the love of God. I'll show you this in just a moment as we hit point three. True love is sacrificial, it's sensitive, and finally it is secure. True love is secure, steady, confident, established, anchored. We will assure our hearts. Now watch this. Watch this for you doubters out there. For if our heart condemns us, in other words, but I don't feel I don't feel saved today. I don't feel like I'm a child of God. Wait, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. I'll explain. Beloved, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So either way, whatever we ask, we receive because we keep his commands and we do those things pleasing. And then this is his commandment, faith and love. We believe on the Lord Jesus and we love one another as he gave us commandment. You can have assurance. But what does that mean? What if I don't feel like it? What if my heart's condemning me? What if my heart is telling me, let, let me slow your roll for a minute and say, does it mean you've lost your salvation? Does it mean that uh, you were never saved to begin with? John says if our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart. Now here's the reality. Some folks think they're saved and they're just not. Their life has never produced good fruit, sustaining fruit. And so like the parable of the four, four soils, they got excited about Jesus once, but the seed never took root. Some people let the cares of the world come and take it away, and so they've never produced fruit. But if there has been a season in your life when you know you have confessed your sin to the Lord, you have believed that Jesus is God's son and he is the only way to salvation, who died for your sin, was buried and raised the third day, you've confessed that to the Lord in prayer, you know that you know that you know that you told God you believe, yes, you've made many mistakes, yes, you've not been perfect, but you've really put your faith in the Lord. Then quit trusting your feelings because your heart can do all kinds of crazy things. Take the word of God. God is greater than our hearts. If God says you are a child of his, then that settles it. Quit worrying about how you feel about it because it is so key that the word leads. In fact, I'll take a line from the movie Fireproof. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked. The heart can lead you astray. Yes, we want a conscience informed and enlightened by the Holy Spirit, but it is ultimately God's word that is our standard for truth. Your feelings don't tell you how you stand before God. Feelings can change and warm fuzzies may come and go. 
Satan often will try to make you feel as though you're not a child of God because what witness would you be if you doubt your own salvation? How can you be effective for the kingdom if you don't even know that you know? Some of you guys, and you're the only one, you and the Lord are the only one that know this. Some of you guys, and some of you out there, have never actually given your life to Jesus Christ. You walked an aisle, you signed a card, you got wet, but you've never truly been saved. And if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with the Lord, you need to nail that down today because you ain't fooling anybody, especially when you stand before your maker. But many of you are not as effective as you should be in your faith because you've let doubt and lack of assurance creep in. And the reality is you know. You know based on the word of God that you've said yes to Jesus. You know based on the word of God that he has accepted you as Lord and Savior. You're just letting the enemy come in and throw doubt. God is greater than your doubt. You know, in these days, I feel pretty secure when I travel. When I get on an airplane, I know that a lot of things changed after 9-11. I feel pretty secure. Why? Because I know everybody on the other side of the security gate has come through the narrow way. I know everybody on the other side has been checked and double-checked and often triple-checked. Now, we know that the TSA and all is not perfect. But imagine if you had a system that was absolutely perfect, that you could not slide through the back door, that there was no human error involved, that it was flawless every time, 100% of the time. You'd be extraordinarily secure. Well, our salvation is just like that. Narrow is the way that leads to life. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. How can you know that you know you have come the narrow way? I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. My belief is witnessed by fruit in my life because I genuinely love others. I didn't say you had to like everybody and everything they do all the time, okay? That's different. A lot of things I don't like. A lot of things I would just really fundamentally in my core disagree with. But I'm still called to love people. I'm still called to love others. But we can know. We can have assurance of our salvation. We can have assurance of our prayer that God will answer. But we've got to do what God has told us to do. You are God. Like they said in Acts 4.24 when they were praying against persecution. They didn't say, Lord, just stop the persecution. They started the prayer with, oh, Lord, thou art God. I recognize you're in control. I know you're my Lord and my Savior. John's basically saying this to us, church. Don't say you believe in Jesus and then refuse to love other people. Don't give me that lip service. With one breath, you praise the Lord and say you trust Christ. With another breath, you're gossiping about how much you dislike so-and-so. John is not saying this is a love when you just go up and get syrupy and you just it's just undiscerning. No, 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 no. He's saying this is a genuine God-honoring love that doesn't just sit in your lips and come through your language. It's evident through your life. You're showing people that you genuinely care. You're not hurting them. You're helping them. You're loving them as God would have you love them. Are you secure? Let me just ask this question. Everybody in this space, everybody out there, are you secure in your relationship with Christ? I am secure in my relationship with my sweet Cindy. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of reasons I'm secure, but it's years and years and years of walking 
faithfully together. It's years of knowing that she trusts me and I trust her. She's never given me reason not to. And let me tell you, I'm secure in my relationship with Christ. Number one, because I take God at his word. His word is greater than even my heart. And I have walked with my Savior for years and years and years. And he's never, ever let me down. There are times when he's been quiet, even silent. And I so long to hear an answer. But I come back to the word. I open it up and guess what I find? God is speaking. There's an answer. That's what I needed for that day. That's why for 23 years, 23 years, I'm reading the Bible cover to cover, a different study Bible every single year. I'm reading this year the Tony Evans study Bible, which is absolutely fabulous. It's got great notes and great little digital things, QR codes I can hit and hear from Brother Tony. And it's an incredible resource to me because I'm knowing it's not just the voice of Tony, it's God as he speaks through his word and through his man. And so I tell you the truth, if you want to know that you know that you know, come back to the word of God, not your feelings. Do the things God calls you to do. What does it look like? True love is sacrificial. It is sensitive. It is secure. I'm going to close with this. I heard it many years ago. I went back and found it, so I've kind of trimmed it down. But it is what does love look like through the eyes of a child? I thought these were brilliant. So we ask a group of four to eight-year-olds, what does love look like? Rebecca, age eight, said love looks like this. When my grandmother got arthritis and she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her even though his hands got arthritis too. That's love. That's pretty good. Danny, age seven. This happens in my house every morning. Love is when mommy makes coffee for daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him just to make sure it tastes okay. Uh, Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. I love this. This is Bobby, not my son Bobby. This is Bobby, age seven. He said, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas when you stop opening presents long enough and listen. Noel, age seven. I like it. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. Uh, this is pretty This is pretty smart. Um, and, and the age of some of my kids, I understand this one. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Uh, <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> and, and, and last, little Jessica, age eight, she said this little bit of wisdom. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. It's a pretty good word. But guys, listen, if you say it to your blue in the face, you say it a thousand times, but you don't show it, she'll believe what you do more than what you say. And you know what? Those of you out there that are saying, well, I just can show it. I don't need to say it. There's a Greek word for that. Baloney. <laughs> you need to say it, and you need to show it. You need to demonstrate love. They're great insights. But you say, I, I just have never seen a relationship like this. I've never seen a perfect picture of love. I don't know what it looks like. Yes, you do. Sure you do. You absolutely do know what it looks like. When you look at Jesus, when you know Jesus, you know what love looks like. Why? 
because he stretched his arms out and he said, I love you this much. You can know what love looks like. It's called the gospel. That God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, living a perfect life, tempted as we are in every way, and yet he never fell into sin. And so he willingly went to Calvary's cross where his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sin. He really died there. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. By the power of God, he was raised the third day. He ministered on this earth some 40 days and then God called him to his right hand where he's sitting even now mediating for you and for me and Soon, God the Father will look at God the Son and say, go, get your bride, bring my children home. You can know what love looks like, but to know love, you've got to know Jesus. And if you have a heart today with no love, then I will show you a life today with no Jesus. So what's it going to be? He's already done everything that needs to be done. And you can know that you know that you know. Or are you going to keep being hard? Are we going to keep seeing no love in you? It's your choice. But when I look at Jesus, I know true love. Stand with me. Hey, look, why don't some of y'all just quit playing games today? You're out there, you can connect with us. We'd love to have you. If you're out there digitally, thank you for the thousands upon thousands of you that tune in. But why don't you quit playing games and get right? We would love to plug you into a church in your area if you're not in our area. We'd love to get you into incarnational ministry in the flesh. So reach out and let us know how we can pray for you and with you. If you're in this room today, don't play games with God. God knows your heart. God knows exactly where you are today. You need to get saved. Pastors will be here on the sides waiting. You can come and you can pray. Somebody will be standing there. You can talk to them. You say, I just can't come up in front of all these people. When the service concludes formally, it never really concludes because we stand over here and welcome people week after week after week. We welcomed new members last week. A lot of them. We welcomed some this morning. We're regularly seeing people give their lives to Jesus. All you got to do is say, hey, I need to talk to somebody. Pastors and counselors are ready, men and women, ready just to take the word of God and say, here's the truth. Now, do you want to accept the truth or do you want to reject the truth? Do you want to receive what God has for you or not, right? My prayer for you is that you know. I'm going to tell you all, life is so much better when you live in security, when you just know. I tell you what, I sleep well at night. I really, really sleep well. Cindy will tell you I sleep well. You know why? I know if something happens, I'm going to see Jesus. But I also know if somebody tries to come at us, we're going to have a party. And there's going to be a whole different kind of boom bash going on in the Lewis house. I sleep very securely as a firm believer in the Second Amendment. I sleep secure. But I've got something better than firearms. I've got something better than baseball bats. I've got a Savior who has made a way for me, not because I deserve it, but because he is worthy. I just don't know why some of y'all just float around wondering all the time. I just don't know why some of y'all don't just nail it down. I just don't know why you say, I don't know, I wish, I hope, I think. Get that out of your head, man. 
you can have a no-so salvation today. Some of you need to come to Jesus. Some of you need to come back to him. When I say amen, I want you to come. Lord God, we love you, we trust you, we thank you for true love most perfectly displayed in and through Christ. Draw men and women, boys and girls, to yourself right now for your glory, their good, the growth of the kingdom. Do what only you can do in these final moments together. In Jesus' name, God's people said amen.